President Calvin Coolidge said, The more I study the Constitution, the more I realize that no other document devised by the hand of man has brought so much progress and happiness to humanity. To live under the American Constitution is the greatest political privilege that was ever accorded to the human race. Welcome to the intersection of faith and the culture. This is Wall Builders Live. We're talking about today's hottest topics on policy and faith and the culture, all from a biblical, historical, and constitutional perspective. In fact, today, Foundations of Freedom Thursday is when we really dive into that constitutional perspective. We're here with David Barton, America's premier historian and our founder and president here at Wall Builders. And my name is Rick Green. I'm a national speaker and author and former Texas rep. You can find out more about our program and our organization at wallbuilders.com. Wallbuilders.com comes from that scripture in Nehemiah that says, Arise and rebuild the walls that we may no longer be a reproach. Also, wallbuilderslive.com is our radio site. You can get all the stations we're on across the country. You can get archives of programs from the last few weeks and uh, other great information there at the website, wallbuilderslive.com. All right, David and Tim, let's dive into those questions. First one's going to come from James. And I got to tell you guys, this is an often asked question when, I'm, when we're out there on the road. People come up and ask about this. Uh, it, it's an important question to ask, and it has to do with those you know, proper uh, execution of powers, proper jurisdiction of powers. But it's a real simple question. What limits the executive orders of the president? Thank you. James, first of all, thank you for keeping the question short to the point. Really good one. All right, guys, how do we limit executive orders of the president? And James, thank you for your service in the Army. We do appreciate that very much. Um, yes. The answer to the question, I got six answers to it. I just jotted down six real quick here. We can explain them later. But what limits the executive orders of the president? Number one, the Constitution. Number two, separation of powers. Number three is how much the president knows about the Constitution. The fourth is the integrity of the president. Does he care about following the Constitution? The fifth is courts. And the sixth is the people themselves when they have elections or reelections. Now, back up. Executive order is when the president writes out an order for what he wants to happen in, and it's supposed to be in the executive branch. What it's become is what he wants to happen in the nation. And so it becomes a national policy, which it was never designed to be. Well, this is also maybe worth noting that the very title of executive order, it gives an indication of who it's supposed to apply to. That's right. Right? The executive order. It's the order to the executive branch. So if it was an order for the nation, right, this is a, a federal order, a national order, it would then not be an executive order because it, it, it's not just applying to the executive branch. And this is where there has been a major disconnect even from Americans' understanding. That's right. I mean, maybe just misunderstanding grammar. We we know now with dictionary changing definitions of even man and woman uh, in the kind of this woke era. Yes, I understand we have a problem with the English language on lots of levels and words are changing and they shouldn't be changing. But even if we just understood basic English, basic grammar or certainly the Constitution, we would know there are significant limitations on what the president had the authority to do. And even the title of executive order gives an indication. It's not the, just the executive making the order. It's an executive order. It's an order going to the executive branch. So an example is you take Dan Cathy, who's head of Chick-fil-A. Chick-fil-A is headquartered in Georgia. And Dan Cathy with Chick-fil-A in Georgia, let's say they have 100, 100 locations in Georgia. He writes out an order. He says, all right, at all Chick-fil-A locations, here's what we're going to do. Here's the way you're going to, to handle people. Here's the way you take money. Here's the way you process check, whatever it is. He writes that order for every single Chick-fil-A in Georgia. 
That's what he can do. What he can't do is write an order that says, look, as head of Chick-fil-A in Georgia, here's what Georgia is going to do on voting policy, and here's what we're going to do on immigration policy, and here's what we're going to do on education. He can't tell the whole state what to do. He can tell his company what to do, and that's it. However, if he did write an order and said, so McDonald's and Taco Bell, here's what you should do, they should probably take it under advisement. (laughs) that's right. (laughs) Right? Probably take that advice. (laughs) It's going to help you along the way. But, yeah, to your point, Dad— Right. You, you, you don't have the authority to tell people what to do when you are not their boss. And certainly the president is not the boss of America. He, he's not. The president is not the boss of Congress. He's he's not the boss of anything outside of the executive branch. And so you don't have the authority to tell anybody outside the executive branch what to do. And even inside the executive branch, there are still constitutional limitations on what he can tell even the executive branch that they are required to do. So let's say that, and here's where you go back to the six limitations I I gave earlier, is you come out and President Biden says, new executive order, anybody 15 years old can vote in federal elections. Well, number one problem you got is the Constitution says you can't. Number two problem you got is separation of powers. That is a policy that has to go through Congress and be signed by the president. It can't start with the president. It has to go through Congress. Then the constitutional knowledge of the president, anybody who says that as president, Biden, anybody else, you don't know anything about the Constitution if you try to make an order like that. The fourth is the integrity of the president. Now, this is where it could come in. He might know the Constitution. I just don't like it. I disagree with it. I think it's wrong. I think 15-year-olds should vote, and I'm just going to change it by edict. That's a real problem, which leads you to the fifth area, which is the court's. And we've had a lot of executive orders in this administration that have gone to court and have been struck down by judges because the judges say, no, 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 you cannot change. The Constitution is what put 18-year-old in there. So you can't change the Constitution by simple stroke of the executive pen. And the sixth is the people themselves. They said, this guy is crazy. We don't want him again, so we're getting him out of office. Those are the six ways to deal with executive orders that I thought of very quickly But the first thing to do is understand that an executive order is not much more than a memoranda to the employees in your company. And the employee, as Tim pointed out, the employees in his company are only those in the executive branch. They're not those in Congress. They're not those in the courts. They're not those in the states. They're not those in anywhere else. Uh, Dan Cathy can't, as Tim pointed out, issue an order from McDonald's or Wendy's or anybody else. He can only talk to the people that are his employees, and that's it. So that's an executive order, and that's the way you can limit them. But it really does go back to the knowledge of us as citizens. Uh, we can raise a lot of ruckus on this, and in this culture and time, raising a ruckus is is something that's seen by presidents. They don't like being unpopular. They don't like to think that they might have a big contest in the next election. Uh, so they try not to kick the anthill. And if we let them know they've kicked the anthill, then that that's another way of stopping this stuff. All right. Well, I, you know, and I, I do think it's good for people to know, as we discuss this, they, they should not just knee-jerk reaction, think everything that, you know, the the uh, president does or when an executive order is done is unconstitutional. I mean, it's just so important that we do what you guys just did, and that is be balanced and say, hey, when it's done this way, it's constitutional. When it's not done that way, you know, it's unconstitutional over here. And, and we point out the unconstitutionality, but sometimes it's easy to just throw everything into that in that bucket. Uh, I don't think that's what uh, what James was doing. It's certainly well, not what y'all have done. And actually, Rick, let, let me just throw out a little exercise. I want to take something that, yeah. that one of the things that Trump did when he first came in, he said, here's the new deal. He said, in the executive agencies, if you write a new rule and, and the executive agencies write rules on how the law is to be implemented, 
He said, if you write a new rule or a new regulation, you have to remove two regulations off the book for every new one you add. So we're going to downsize government. I'm, I'm going to make you shrink government for every agency regulation you write, and agencies can write regulations. Now, they'll get challenged in court as well, and Congress can take them off. But for every one you write, you've got to reduce it by two. So you go through the checklist and say, okay, is that constitutional for him to be able to do that? Yes, it is. He's, he can direct his agencies. And the second thing is, does it violate separation of powers? Nope, because he didn't do anything with Congress. He didn't do anything with the courts. He said, for the guys in my administration, here's the new rule. You're going to downsize government. Um, constitutional knowledge of the president, he pretty clearly expressed it there. He shows that he understood it. The integrity of the president, well, he kept his promise to the, the people, but he stayed within the Constitution. The courts, nope, nobody challenged that. Nobody took it to court because it's not a violation. And so the people, people responded positively. So that's a good way of checking whether something literally is constitutional or not, those six six items. But there's a great example of an executive order that came from a president that's clearly constitutional. It's what presidents are supposed to do. But the thing of telling banking institutions like Biden is doing that this is what bank private banking institutions, this is what you're going to do with your money concerning ESG and other things. No, 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 no. And that's why there are so many lawsuits right now against the Biden administration, because he's trying to he's just trying to change national policy. He's trying to take on the job of Congress and the courts and just write orders like crazy. Now, what he's doing is he's keeping a lot of the stuff in advance by putting it in court. And and in the meantime, the stuff is still going on. And he's able to advance it forward. So he's kind of like overwhelming things with executive orders like crazy. But that's where it's going to come back to we the people. Do we really like that or would we rather have something different? Uh, we'll see in the next election what the people think about it. All right. Well, thanks again to James first for his service and also for sending in the question. Next question comes from the Hamaker family, and they are asking about uh, the Article 4, Section 4 declaration by Governor Abbott. So here's what they said. Good evening. Our family is looking forward to hearing Wall Builders' feedback on the daily podcast on Governor Abbott's invoking Article 4, Section 4 of the U.S. Constitution, hoping to include it with our homeschool curriculum this week. Thank you again for everything you do to preserve history and share the truth, and most importantly, God's Word. Thank you, the Hamburger family, Quail and Mana Farms. Now, I'm I'm curious. I'm going to have to go look them up, but 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 to the point, and, and, and the question about Article 4, Section 4. So, guys, the, the, the governor invoking, uh, of course, he actually invoked Article 1, Section 10, but it's because the feds aren't doing Article 4, Section 4. But yes, this is this is very good news because he's acknowledging this power uh, of the states. Well, look, this is something, Rick. You've been into a good bit. You've really kept your eye on this in Texas. Uh, you know what Abbott's doing with this, and, and some other states as well. So, I mean, this is one of your forte passions. Why, why don't you just answer the question as well, and, and just look at this from Article Four, Section Four, and you know what what's being done, and, and what do you think about Governor Abbott invoking Article Four, Section Four to do what he did at the border? Yeah, you know, guys, we've we talked about this over the over the years, actually, especially since Biden, you know, just as soon as he came in, he just got rid of all of Trump's uh, measures that were working really well, stay in Mexico, build on the border, all those things. And so it created this disaster that we have. And so for the last couple of years, we've been saying, OK, look, this is a, a proper function of the federal government normally, which is what Article 4, Section 4 is. Let's just read that for folks so they know. Uh, the United States shall guarantee to every state in this union a Republican form of government. So that's that guarantee that every state will be a republic. Uh, and shall protect each of them against invasion and on application of the legislature or of the executive when the legislature cannot be convened against domestic violence. So they're supposed to prevent the invasion. That's that's a that's a federal responsibility. 
When they're not doing it, what do you do? Well, you flip over to Article 1, Section 10, and it says that when that no state shall, without the consent of Congress, lay any duty or tonnage, keep troops or ships of war in time of peace, enter into any agreement or compact with another state or with a foreign power or engage in war unless actually invaded or in such imminent danger as will not admit of delay. And so that's the whole argument that everybody's been trying to make is that, listen, the state and the nation are being invaded. We're, it's it's 5.5 million now that have crossed the border, a million gotaways. I, I was at a meeting with Trump recently, and he said, actually, the number's closer to 15 to 20 million. Uh, that, that other number is the lower number that's being officially reported. He said, but what he's getting from Border Patrol and others is it's, it's, it's three to five times higher. He said 15 wow. to 20. Wow, man, the numbers are staggering. And, and of course, you know, Abbott could have done that immediately, uh, didn't, had a tough primary. Both of his opponents really pushed him to do that. Kerry Lake started talking about it out of Arizona. Um, you know, it, it, it became sort of the momentum to finally get a state to do that. And so thankfully, he did finally at least admit and, 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 and invoke the clause. He actually invoked the clause and said this is a constitutional power for states to do. Um, it didn't really change his actions much. He was already doing some of the smaller things but it opens the door for him to do a lot more. And if you listen to those guys over at, um, in fact, uh, I was trying to remember the uh, former AG from Virginia's name. I think I, I know you Ken know Cuccinelli. him. But, uh, yeah, Ken uh, at Center for American Renewal. Those guys are great, and they're on top of this. And they're saying, listen, once you invoke it, it puts you on a war footing, and you can actually take those folks and and actually deliver them back across the border, like literally go across the water if you have to and put them on the other side, you're not invading by stepping on that soil to do that. You're actually re- responding. Anyway, it's a really, really interesting question by the Hamaker family. I am glad Greg Abbott did this. I think it's a step in the right direction. I really hope he does more. And the, and Ken and and, um, and Russ Vaught and those guys, they're pushing for him to do more. And I think if Carrie Lake can turn around Arizona with her lawsuit, I know that's a long shot, but if she was to do that, she would do it, and you would see a lot more pressure. So it's a good step in the right direction and great constitutional you know, just knowledge and information for us to know. David, you taught me from the beginning, knowing the jurisdiction of the feds, jurisdiction of the states, and and knowing who has the power to do what is vital for this thing to work correctly again. So this is really a good lesson in those jurisdictions. And it really is a good time to kind of remember the federal position on immigration. Let me take you back to, to the very beginning when this was done, because when we created the United States and there were 13 states and we created the nation, uh, it's interesting to see the way the early presidents, early founding fathers dealt with borders and invasions, etc. Thomas Jefferson, for example, was really clear. He said the federal role in immigration is we're supposed to make sure that everybody that comes across the border is healthy, is sound. is, is And if you look at the, the first immigration laws, I think 1791, 1794, 1798 was the first ones done by Congress. It's all about making sure that those that are coming across are sound, but it left to the states the right to regulate the immigration because, as they pointed out, look, if you're coming into America, you're not coming to live in the United States. You're going to live in Virginia or you're going to live in Maryland or Pennsylvania. And those states have a voice in this. And so states had the greater role in immigration greater than the feds did. The feds only made sure they're healthy and that you've got a way of support when you get here, that within the next five years you won't rely on any kind of government assistance. And all that was requirements in those early laws. And it was not until 1875, 1876, when the U.S. Supreme Court stepped in and said, no, 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 the federal government controls immigration. They took it away from the states in that 1875, 1876 thing. And so we've been thinking since 1875, 76, and that includes all of us in this generation, 
that the feds are in charge of the borders. They're in charge of regulating who comes in and what the requirements are. And, and that's just not what it was. And so it's interesting to me that as we've had all these new judges in the last four to five to six years that have been more, much more constitutional, in the last two years, we've seen two really major lawsuits at the federal courts where the federal courts say, no, 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 the states have a big role in immigration. And if the federal government refuses to uphold immigration laws, the states have the right to uphold federal immigration laws. The states can enforce federal immigration laws. It's not relying on the feds just to enforce the law. The states do it as well. So this is an interesting change that's happening right now is that not only with what Abbott is doing and some of the other governors, and I think there's now 30 counties in Texas where the counties themselves have declared a state of invasion in their county which is part of what's pushing Abbott to do what he does. But I think it's just really cool that we're starting to find out that, no, states really do have a lot more authority and power than what we were told in those judicial activist years of the 1960s, 70s, 80s, and 90s. I mean, I think we're starting to get back to the Constitution in some pretty fundamental areas, and I think immigration is one of those. And it's so good. And, and, and you know, they had the big 2012 case, the Arizona case, and, and Scalia dissented in that case and said, hey, what is sovereignty? Of, what, what kind of st- state sovereignty is there if you don't allow the state to have any role in this? He was trying to get us back that direction. Yeah. And, and, you know, Roger Sherman's one of your favorite guys. He said in the debate during that Naturalization Act, if I've got this quote right, I'm going to read it. Uh, this is excerpted. But he said it was intended by the Constitution in order to prevent particular states receiving citizens and forcing them upon others who would not have received them in any other manner. In other words, one state could let in aliens that that would be bad for another state, and they just kind of flow through that state to these other states. And James Madison talked about the same thing in, in Federalist 42. He talked about even what they called, quote-unquote, obnoxious aliens, meaning you get people that aren't good for the, for the culture. And he said it was a defect of the Articles of Confederation that they were, that they were going to solve with the Constitution. Then the last one, Joseph's story. If aliens might be admitted indiscriminately to enjoy all the rights of citizens at the will of a single state, the Union might itself be endangered by an influx of foreigners hostile to its institutions, ignorant of its powers, and incapable of a due estimate of its privileges. Wow, Justice Joseph's story once again nailing it. So, I mean, all those guys were basically saying the whole reason to get the feds involved was to prevent one state from allowing it to get out of control for other states. When the fed do, feds don't do it, then now it's got it. The states are the ones that are, that are going to have to do it here because the feds are the ones letting in this, this massive influx. Yeah. Wow. Good, good lesson. Good and, lesson. And, today, and by guys. the way, may I point out that the quotes you just read are from 200, 220 years ago, which goes to the, the point that we just sometimes forget today because of our technology and our superior technology in so many areas. We just think we're so different from what people were in previous generations. <laughs> and the issues really are the same. It's the technology that changes, not the issues. So immigration issues have been issues for a long time in America. They were immigration issues back then. That's why they talked about it. That's why the founding fathers talked about it. And this is what's made the Constitution so cool is it runs on principles, not on technology. And so all yeah. this this woke nonsense today that this is a 200-year-old document, we need something that's more current for modern times. No, you don't. The principles don't change. Gravity doesn't get updated from generation to generation. Your technology around it changes. But just a quote you read, Rick, this goes back to the very heart of what we're dealing with today. And do the states have a role? And when does the Fed step in? And how do you how do you secure integrity with the states and with the feds? I mean, the same questions we talk about today, they've already answered. And as we pointed out before, just like they answered issues of of life, abortion. That was a, something that the founding fathers dealt with in their day, abortion. Technology was different, but the issue is the same. So this is a, a good way to drive home 
that what we deal with in America is really not all that new. It may be new for our generation, but history has lessons that apply anytime we can find them. And that's why it's good to go back to history and get those lessons so that we don't have to repeat all the things that they learned by experience. So good. So important for us to do. Stay with us, folks. We'll be right back. We've got more of your questions. You're listening to Wall Builders. It's Foundations of Freedom Thursday. Samuel Adams said, The liberties of our country and the freedom of our civil constitution are worth defending against all hazards, and it is our duty to defend them against all attacks. Hey, this is Tim Barton with Wall Builders. And as you've had the opportunity to listen to Wall Builders Live, you've probably heard the wealth of information about our nation, about our spiritual heritage, about the religious liberties, about all the things that makes America exceptional. And you might be thinking, as incredible as this information is, I wish there was a way that I could get one of the Wall Builders guys to come to my area and share with my group, whether it be a church, whether it be a Christian school or public school or some political event or activity. If you're interested in having a Wall Builder speaker come to your area, you can get on our website at www.wallbuilders.com and there's a tab for scheduling. And if you'll click on that tab, you'll notice there's a list of information from speakers' bios to events that are already going on. And there's a section where you can request an event to bring this information about who we are, where we came from, our religious liberties and freedoms. Go to the Wall Builders website and bring a speaker to your area. This is Tim Barton from Wall Builders with another moment from American history. Too often today, history education excludes great black heroes from the American founding, such as Lemuel Haynes. Haynes, abandoned as a baby, pioneered churches across Upper New England. He became the first black American to pastor a white congregation, to receive an honorary master's degree, and to be ordained by a mainstream Christian denomination, the Congregationalists. He was a soldier during the American Revolution, and in his churches on George Washington's birthday, he regularly preached sermons honoring George Washington. Even late in his life, he expressed his willingness to go back to battle if necessary to protect America, which he called a sacred ark. American history is filled with numerous examples of black heroes who are largely ignored by mainstream education today. For more information about Pastor Lemuel Haynes and other colonial patriots, go to wallbuilders.com. Abraham Lincoln said, We the people are the rightful masters of both Congress and the courts, not to overthrow the Constitution, but to overthrow the men who pervert the Constitution. We're back here on Wall Builders. Thanks for staying with us on this Foundations of Freedom Thursday. couple of questions about the Arizona governor's race. Uh, first one is from Philip in Arizona. He said, Can the Arizona election be thrown out? Katie Hobbs is Arizona Secretary of State running an election that she is running in. This is a huge conflict of interest. And then we have another question about Katie Hobbs uh, basically threatening. We Not basically. I mean, according to the commissioners in some of these counties, she did threaten them with felony charges if they didn't certify the election. And um, Jay says, what about Title 52B, which says no person, whether acting under color of law or otherwise, shall intimidate, threaten or coerce or attempt to intimidate, threaten or coerce any other person for the purpose of interfering with the right of such other person to vote? Uh, as he may choose. Now, those commissioners, of course, were not voting 
on the ballot they were voting to certify. So I'm not sure if that would apply. But anyway, guys, what do you think? Arizona crazy lawsuit going right now. We'll see what happens. Yeah, with Katie Hobbs, look, she's Secretary of State. She's in charge of elections. She should have recused herself just by appearance sake, but that's all this is for, is for the appearance. Look, if Jesus were on the ballot, we wouldn't require him to to recuse himself because he's going to do what's right. He's not going to be bought. He's not going to cheat. He's not going to tilt the election. You usually take people off simply because of public appearance, because you want both sides to have confidence. So there's no legal requirement she should step down. But for, for visual purposes, she probably should have stepped down. But at the same time, that is her job. That's why the people elected her. And, and Rick, also pointing out what you read in the law, that law really deals with private individuals trying to intimidate others. It's not necessarily public officials. You want public officials to finish their job in a timely manner. So I don't think, like you, I don't think that law applies to this situation. Yeah, so I, I don't think that's going to be the angle here, and I don't even know that that was raised in the lawsuit that Carrie Lake filed. So it's 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 more filed on errors in the election, all kinds of problems with voting, people turned away, that sort of thing. That seems to, um, I mean, be legit. That's true suppression of vote with the numbers that they were talking about in terms of machines not working and people have you know going to multiple locations trying to vote and not being able to. Yeah, and that's something too. When you look at Maricopa County, they've just had issues. It seems like them in Loudoun County, there's a few counties, whether it be in Virginia or Florida or Arizona, that are constantly in the news. And this is a place that I was an election judge in Texas for years and years and years and years, and I had to run a polling site. And there were times that we did have technological difficulties, but there's actually an entire team and a staff that that is their job is to help solve these problems. And so the, the reality that, well, we just we didn't have enough ballots printed or we didn't have ballots or we had to send them somewhere else and all these things that keep coming up, it doesn't make sense unless someone's incredibly incompetent or somebody had a plan to try to hinder the election process. And so either somebody should be fired, which probably should happen either way, for incompetence or malice, or there is something deeper than incompetence and it was malice. And that's part of what this lawsuit is trying to get to. Let's get all the information. Let's be transparent. Let's see what's there. Because it's one thing to say that somebody got beat. It's something totally different to say that somebody cheated and stole something that was not theirs in the first place. Yeah. And, you know, Tim, they've got, uh, you know, this lawsuit going and it looks like it's going to move really fast. This judge just ordered a a very quick schedule, which is good. I mean, it looks like discovery or not even really discovery. I mean, they're going to have a motion to dismiss uh, that has to be filed. I think it's due today. And then you've you've got answers by the weekend. And then, I mean, they're literally talking about a trial next week, which is which is good because you don't want to leave this out there. Uh, And it shouldn't be that complicated. It looks like the evidence looks like Carrie Lake's team, legal team, compiled a really good filing here and a lot of evidence before they filed. Um, so, man, I mean, it could be real interesting in just the next seven days. Yeah, and, and this is real different from two years ago when the legal teams came into court and did not have the evidence, and they were fishing around and hoping to get time for evidence. Uh, Carrie Lake's done a really good job of pulling stuff together, um, and as you pointed out, there's a really fast time track for this this trial, so we should know something very quickly. This shouldn't run on for months and, and for weeks like it did in previous elections. Thank you for listening. And by the way, send in your questions to us so we can get to them on our Foundations of Freedom Thursday. Send them to radio at wallbuilders.com. You've been listening to Wall Builders Live. Thomas Jefferson said, The Constitution of most of our states and of the United States assert that all power is inherent in the people that they may exercise it by themselves, that it is their right and duty to be at all times armed, that they are entitled to freedom of person, freedom of religion, freedom of property, and freedom of press. We stand undivided forever.